Welcome to Brown Ministries, an intimate local Christian church for the worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Why did God the Father create Barah Ministries? Through Barah Ministries, God the Father gives you a place to learn that His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 makes it absolutely clear. For in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. The Bible refers to Jesus Christ in many different ways. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, according to John the Baptist. He's the King of Israel. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the great I Am. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the light of men, and in him there is no darkness at all. And it's a pleasure for us and a blessing for us to worship the one and only true God. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. The ministry is primarily for Christians who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of His Word. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 16 say this, Therefore, beloved, And beloved is a term that means divinely loved believers in Christ. Therefore, beloved, while you look for a new heaven and a new earth to come from God, and that will be coming at the end of the uh, millennial reign of Christ, keep on being diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. There's no way for you to be spotless and blameless, but at the moment of salvation, he made us spotless and blameless and flawless and absolutely righteous because we're in union with him. 2 Peter 3.15 And regard the patience of our Lord as his desire for all to come to salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you in letters that became biblical. 2 Peter chapter 3.16 And also... And all of Paul's letters, speaking in them of these same things, in which letters some things are hard to understand. Peter, for, every, for Peter, everything was hard to understand. Which the untaught and unstable distort, just as they, they distort the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. The Bible is a supernatural provision from the Lord to help us learn his thinking. It is not just a bunch of stories. 
It has no contradictions, and it is the absolute truth. And just because it's hard to understand does not mean it's confusing. It may just be that you're easily deceived. The Bible requires effort on your part to learn, and so we implore you always when you're studying with Barah Ministries to compare what we're teaching to what the Bible has to say. That is a Christian's responsibility. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, who is destructive and deceitful. God made Satan the ruler of this world for a finite time. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned from his position of ruling planet Earth at a future time. Satan exists. He is a creature. He is not a symbol of evil, as some false teachers claim. He is not a concept. He isn't a cartoon character with a red epidermis and a pitchfork. He is a perfect, gorgeous, well-dressed former officer angel, a cherub. In fact, he was called the anointed cherub who covers and a brilliant genius. He was the bodyguard of the throne of God. And the sad thing is, Satan is an imposter. He's a creature who pretends to be as powerful as God to deceive others for his own fraudulent gain. Satan encourages you to reject the idea of there being a God, which is called atheism, saying there is no God. And Satan encourages you to reject the idea that anyone can be clear about God. And that's called agnosticism, claiming that the mysteries of God can't be known. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, outs Satan. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down from heaven at a future time. This is a future event. He will be kicked out of the Supreme Court of Heaven because he has lost the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. That's his game. God is not mysterious. God does not work in mysterious ways. He is crystal clear, and he's always predictable in his approach to the human race. And if not for God's protective power, we believers in Christ would be defenseless against Satan's deception and his destruction. Today's Bible lesson, what false teachers and false teaching are you choosing to run your life? What false teachers and false teaching are you choosing to run your life. Well, one of the things the Lord teaches in the Word of God is what to do and what not to do in life. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Lord exhorts you to test yourselves, to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you believers in Christ not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is indwelling you, unless indeed you fail the test? Well, we've been studying Paul's letter to the Colossians. That was our last study, and now we're studying Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we've been hearing these two terms over and over, false teachers and false teaching. As you learn, are you examining yourselves? Who are your false teachers? What false teaching runs your life? In our final lesson of the summer, You'll get an opportunity to reflect on these things you've been learning from the Lord in these two revealing letters. Well, let's hear some music. False teachers in the Galatian region claim Jesus Christ's work on the cross is not sufficient for salvation. 
They recommend that works be added to faith to accomplish salvation. Well, June Murphy thinks the Bible says something different in her song, My Cross Made You Good Enough. Trinity indwells you and I have set you free you're a citizen of heaven you belong to me you lack nothing
my own. Uh, that song is from June's most recently recorded CD. But one of the things, I feel like I'm from the Department of Redundancy Department when I talk about June, because every one of her songs is absolutely amazing. I'm trying to get this tie straightened out. Uh, I can't see anymore. I mean, that's why I have you, Deacon Dean. You need to help me. There we go. So anyway, uh, I feel, <laughs> yeah, he's going to help me right now. That's really good. Help a brother out. You kept one of the other way. Yeah. Well, I'm old, Kenny. All right, good. But I feel like I'm from the Department of Redundancy part Department when I talk about June because she is just a phenomenal singer, phenomenal person. And that song is just beautiful. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for separating the truth from lies. Thank you for giving us the Word of God, the Bible, as the rudder that steers us to the truth. Thank you for giving us God the Holy Spirit to lead us into all the truth. Help us to reflect on how we select teachers, what we learn from them, and whether the teaching is effective. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what false teachers and false teaching are you choosing to run your life? False teachers and false teaching. I feel like I've been saying that incessantly for the all year this year. And I just wonder if it's connecting for you. That we're not just talking about the Colossians and we're not talking about the Galatians because in everything we study, you will always see false teachers sneaking in with their false teaching to try to ruin a ministry. So we continue our study of Paul's letter to the churches he established in Galatia, which is a region in modern-day Turkey. And we have completed our study of the first two chapters, but it's been a few weeks ago since we finished that. So let's remind ourselves of what the Lord is teaching us through Paul in these first two chapters of this really insightful letter. Well, after Paul established the churches at Galatia, false teachers that were called Judaizers infiltrated the area with false teaching, introducing a different gospel message of salvation. Paul gave the people in the churches at Galatia the real gospel message. The Judaizers came in and said, yeah, Paul, not so much. Let me, let me tell you what really the gospel message is. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this, I, Paul, am amazed, Galatian believers, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. You're deserting him, and that's God the Holy Spirit. You're deserting him for a different gospel. Well, there is no different gospel. And there's so many people in this world that think that the gospel is whatever they want to make it. No, there's only one gospel. And that is faith alone in Christ is the ticket to eternal life. So to achieve their deceptive end, the Judaizers attack Paul's authority. They don't just attack the teaching, but then they attack the teacher. And that's what always happens. I've seen that over and over again in 25 years of teaching the Word of God, that, you know, as a pastor, first the teaching will be attacked, then the teacher will be attacked, then people leave. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Well, Paul rejected their claim. 
Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 say this, For I would have you know, brethren, as believers in Christ, that the gospel which was preached by me is not a gospel that comes from man. Galatians 1.12, for I neither received it from man, I didn't consult with any of the other apostles, nor was I taught it by man, but I received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He was sitting out in Arabia for about three or four years, and the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching him personally how to teach the mystery doctrine of the church age to the whole Gentile world. Well, the Judaizers also claim that Christ's work on the cross was not sufficient. So not only do they attack Paul's teaching, not only do they attack Paul, but they also attack Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus would tell you is this. If you attack my teaching, you're attacking me. If you're attacking attacking one of my chosen ones, you're attacking me. If you attack any believer in Christ, you're attacking me. That's the way a real leader works. And so, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, the Apostle Paul rejects this idea, too, that Christ was, Christ's work of the cross was not sufficient. He says, a man is not justified, that means a man is not saved, by doing the works of the Mosaic Law. And there are billions of people who think that they can be saved by doing things. A man is not justified by doing the works of the Mosaic Law. A man is justified through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's how we get saved. So uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 21 says this. I, Paul, did not nullify the grace of God by saying that I can be saved by works. For if righteousness, which is credited to the account of every believer in Christ at the moment of salvation, that as the admission ticket to heaven, I, Paul, did not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through keeping the Mosaic law, which it does not, and there's only one person who has ever kept the entire Mosaic law, and that's Jesus Christ during his time on earth, then Christ died needlessly. If you can save yourself by doing the works of the Mosaic Law, then Christ wouldn't have had to go to the cross. Now let's look at what Paul has to say to the gullible Galatian believers in the first part of Galatians chapter 3. And this is the next thing we're going to be studying. So this is the first half of Galatians chapter 3. It says this. So Paul has set it up. He said, okay guys, the gospel, there's only one of them. I got it as direct revelation from God. I taught it to you, you believed. That's it. Now these people are coming in and giving you a new gospel, and you got sucked in. Galatians 3.1. You foolish Galatians. Now, you know, there are a lot of words for fool in Greek, like moros, which means you're a moron, and raka, which I'll talk to you about next week, but... Paul was not using those. He could have easily used those. He could have really been pissed at them and said, you guys are so stupid, I can't even believe that God even let you exist. But he didn't. He just said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes was Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified? And the answer is, before their eyes. This whole first part of this passage, he's asking them rhetorical questions. Galatians 3.2. 
This is the only thing I, Paul, want to find out from you. Did you receive God the Holy Spirit at salvation, the baptism of the Spirit, by the works of the Mosaic Law? Or did you receive the baptism of the Spirit simply by hearing the gospel message and spending your faith? We know the answer to that question. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun your salvation by the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, Are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's the religious people. There are a lot of religious people who accidentally get saved because they accidentally spend their faith believing in Jesus Christ. And then the religion they're in sucks them in and says, okay, now that you've done that, that's not good enough. Now you've got to do all of these other things or you can lose your salvation or you're not saved And they start promoting this whole host of lies that is absolutely incorrect. Galatians chapter 3, verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Galatians 3, 5. So then, does God the Father, who provides you with God the Holy Spirit to direct you after salvation, and he who works miracles among you, do it by the works of the Mosaic Law? Or did he provide it to you by hearing through faith? And again, another rhetorical question, but we know the answer. Galatians 3.6. Even so, Abraham, the father of the Jewish race, believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him. That means credited to his account as righteousness. Abraham was a Jew. He started out, he started out as a Gentile and a Muslim, and then he became a believer in Christ, through faith in Christ. And the faith he had was in Jehovah Elohim, which is a name uh, in Hebrew for God the Son, the Lord. Even so, Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him, credited to his account as righteousness. So there are racial Jews, a lot of ritualistic Jews, and then there are spiritual Jews. The spiritual Jews are the ones who are Jewish, but also Christian, and they are saved, and they are of Abraham's seed. The racial Jews, who are trying to keep the works of the Mosaic Law, they they better get some asbestos, because where they're going is going to be hot. And every Jewish person, and, and I have a tremendous affection for the Jewish race, every one of them needs to make a decision for or against their Messiah. And that's why I'm always saying Jesus is the Jewish Messiah because I want to remind my Jewish friends who may happen to stumble into a Bible lesson every once in a while, I want them to know that they have rejected their Messiah, and that was Jesus Christ. And they think he's a man. He's not a man. He is the God-man. Galatians 3.7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. If you don't believe in Christ, you're not a son of Abraham. Galatians 3.8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. So then those who are of faith, are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all believers in Jehovah Elohim. 
a whole line of spiritual Jews. Now there's Ishmael on the other side, and he is he created a whole line of Arabs who are completely opposed to Abraham and the spiritual Jews. And isn't it funny? Because both of those are his son, sons. There's Isaac, whom God gave to Abraham. And then there's Ishmael, whom Abraham uh, gained as a son by having sex with his wife's maid. And boy, that must not have gone over with Sarah very much. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the Mosaic law are under a curse. If you think that's the way you're going to be saved, you're under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. In other words, if you have a series of laws and you break one of them, you are a criminal. Galatians 3.11. Now that no, now that no one is justified by the Mosaic law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith in Christ alone. Galatians 3.12. However, the Mosaic law is not of faith. The Mosaic law was designed to let everybody know that they were sinners and that they need a Savior. On the contrary, he who practices the Mosaic law shall live by the Mosaic law. Well, unfortunately, no one in the Jewish race, or in any other race, has ever kept the Mosaic Law. So they're all under a curse who think that's the way to salvation. Galatians 3.13. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the Mosaic Law. Okay, you realize you're a sinner. You realize you need a Savior. You go to Christ, and he says, no problem. I will purchase you from slavery to sin. That's the method. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the Mosaic Law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. See, Jesus Christ was crucified, and that was a, a, a method of death that was reserved for the worst people and the worst criminals. But he was not that, but he went to the cross as if he were that, because he knew what he was doing. Galatians 3.14 Christ did this in order that in union with Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, through faith. So now, today, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. In the, in the old times, uh, Gentiles were scum. Today, Jews and Gentiles are the same because of what Christ did at the cross. Well, we'll begin learning this passage verse by verse next week. So I just gave you a taste of it. But today, let's use this lesson to reflect on a few thought-provoking questions. Oops. All right. Did I, did I finish this yet? Oh, no, I have one more thing. Great, thank you. So Henry Brooks Adams coined an expression, which is one of my favorite of all time. He is a 19th century American historian, journalist, and academic. And he said this about teachers. He said, teachers affect eternity. They can never tell where their influence stops. Now, if you want to know who Rory Clark is, Rory Clark is a teacher. And so Henry Brooks Adams is right. True teachers affect your eternity. Unfortunately, 
false teachers affect your eternity too. These Judaizers were coming in with their false gospel message. Now, they were talking to believers in Christ who are already saved. So, for the believers in Christ, they were just steering them off course. But there was a whole bunch of people in those churches that were unbelievers who bought this false message, hook, line, and sinker, much to their dismay. When false teachers teach you what they know, the question you have to ask is, is it valuable to you? I was talking to a teenage boy recently, and you know how I'm really good at joking around with people. So we talked. We got to know each other a little bit. And I said, hey, I got a question for you. Do you want to be rich when you grow up? He said, yes. And I asked him how he planned to do it. And he said, what I'm going to do is exploit willingly arrogant people. (laughs) I love that. That might as well have been Satan saying that. Because that's exactly what so many people in this world do. They make their fortune by exploiting willingly ignorant people. False teachers do exactly that. They find people who are gullible. They feed them a hook, a line, a sinker. And this is in every area of our life. You know, and you want to lose some weight, you got... 900,000 false teachers in this $80 billion industry selling you a bunch of crap about how you can lose weight and you invest $5,000 and when you get through, you're fatter than you were when you got into the program. So the question you have to ask yourself is what are some of the things you are willingly ignorant about that makes the work of false teachers in your life effective? Well, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll see some of the false teachers and false teaching that affect us in our lives today. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody, all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing, I'm living for the world. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what false teachers and false teaching are you choosing to run your life? Well, God the Father loves all of his creatures unconditionally, and he loves us so much that he gave his son to save us. God the Father is not conflicted at all about giving. Are you? 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 say this, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him? How does the unconditional love of God abide in this person? 1 John 3.18, little children. That's a reference to believers in Christ, and John used to always call us that. Let us not love unconditionally with word or with tongue. In other words, love is not talk. But let us love unconditionally with deeds in truth. Let this be a time in your life when you realize what God the Father is able to do with what we give. And by the way, Barah Ministries, our funds are getting low, so go into your bank account and send us a whole bunch of money. Realize how important giving is, as it makes life an amazing experience for those in need. Be generous with the gifts your God has given you. And as Deacon Denny exhorts so often, we use our time gifts, we use our talent gifts, and we use our treasure gifts. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Can you hear me? Check, check, check one. I think you can hear me. Check one. I don't know if you can hear me actually. I'm not seeing it. There it goes. Okay, cool. That might be a little too loud. Something weird here. 
Something's weird. Check, check. Okay. All right, let's try that again. Good morning. My name is Deacon Denny, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brown Ministries. Bill still doesn't sound like you're hearing me. Can you hear me? And no speakers? Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Yeah, right. I, my ears aren't doing so well. Huh? What'd you say? Huh? It shouldn't matter. Anyway, I'm blessed to be a deacon at Brown Ministries, and I'm proud to be a deacon here because we, we know what respect really means. We know that respect is a key to relationship. And respecting God, we get the, 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 we get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. And respecting you, we allow you to learn and have a relationship with Christ once you do have salvation. And so I was thinking about respect a lot because I have two little kids who are horrible at respect. <laughs> with each other, with their parents. If it's a teacher, maybe they respect them. If it's somebody else, but anyway in the family, they're just going to give it to you straight. And so I've been thinking about it a lot. And respect is a key because respect is like a foundation. It's what real relationships are built on. You respect one another, then you have a starting ground. You have a level playing field. And respect is like a bridge. It allows us to understand and have a connection with others, but it allows us to understand and appreciate different viewpoints at the same time while respecting them. Because we can have different viewpoints and not be enemies. And I think that helps relationships as well. And I think ultimately respect is a mirror to relationship. It allows you to appreciate and it reflects how much you appreciate others. And it shows them that you do appreciate them and that you value their relationship and you honor them. And the Bible agrees with what I've been saying in Romans chapter 12, verses 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You honor somebody, you respect them. You're devoted to them and you... You hold them up. And so thank you for always respecting this ministry by giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And thank you for respecting God because giving at the minutes, giving at the offering is worship. And it shows that you respect God and what he's done for you. And that you respect that you know he will give you what you need and give you back plenty. And so let's give preference and honor to one another, especially our pastor, now that he's going through his health issues. And let's just use our priesthood to really hold him up. And I pray, I pray we all do this. And thank you, and hit it, Denise. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart oh, you know what? like you do. My mic wasn't even on. Oh, really? No. I could search well, you got, probably for all eternity long. No, it's not. It, it totally missed it. I think we have to. Because now it's on. I'll go up and do it over. <laughs> Sorry you can hear us on the live stream. So the mic is finally on. Yep. There we go. And then you'll have to reset that song once it starts, but... Good morning. My name is Deacon Denny. We figured out the mic. I didn't have it on. <laughs> I switched it the wrong way. So it was my fault. And uh, I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brown Ministries. First of all, my name is Denny Goodall. I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brown Ministries, and I'm proud to be a deacon because we cherish respect here. And we know that respect is key to relationships. 
And relationships are very, very important to us. And respecting God, we get out the gospel to a lost and dying world. And respecting you, we show up each week so that you can develop a relationship with God. And respect is key because... Switch to the this one? Okay. And respecting God, we realize that um, respect has, is very key to life because it's like a foundation to a relationship. It keeps us on a level playing ground, and we can respect one another. Respect is also like a bridge because it's a connection between the two of us. It's where we can understand and appreciate different points of views with each other and still get along and not treat each other poorly just because we don't agree. And then there's also respect is like a mirror because it reflects how much you cherish people and how much you care. They can see how you appreciate them. They can see how you respect them. And that's something that really matters in life. And so respecting God, we give you the offering every week so that you can have the chance to worship and help others get to know God through the gospel and having a relationship. And so, oh, and that's, uh, it sounds like it's echoing it again. Hello? Check, check. Check, 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 check. It sounded weird, though. There it goes. All right. No, it should be good. Check one. I don't know why this isn't. Maybe it's my, is the battery dying on me? Let's try again. Here we go. Now I got Pastor's mic. So the reason I've been thinking about respect a ton is because of my kids. They're crazy and they have no respect for each other, for their parents, or for time, or for life, or for God. And I think they love prayers at night. So that's the one thing I hope and pray that they do respect as they go forward. Um, And what I've been talking about that uh, respect is key because it's like a foundation, it's like a bridge, and it's like a mirror. The Bible agrees because in, chap- in Romans chapter 12, verses 10, it says to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. So if we honor one another, we praise them, we respect them, and we lift them up. And so thank you at the offering for lifting up Brown Ministries, who lifts up the gospel to a lost and dying world. So thank you for putting up with the mic problems. <laughs> and I don't know what we got out of that one. And I, I pray that uh, as we go forward, we also respect this pastor because of his health problems we're going through. And I pray that we honor him and respect him and keep use our priesthood to raise him up and him and his, his fellow pastor, John. I pray that you bless them and protect them. And I pray that we all keep them in our mind daily as we go forward. So thank you very much. There is none like you No one else can touch my heart like you do I could search for all eternity long And find there is none like you
Today's Bible lesson, what false teachers and false teaching are you choosing to run your life? Well, thanks for the excellent message, Deacon Denny, and, you know, I I don't know what we're going to see on the the playback, but I think we're going to see you standing there about mouthing the words, and then we're going to see your real message, both of which were great. And I'm glad the cootie monster got you for a change, because it gets me on a regular... (laughs) It gets me on a regular basis. So what false teachers and false teaching are you choosing to run your life? So that's a great question. So who are some of the false teachers of today? People learn from Google. They learn from Facebook. They learn from Instagram. I was talking to my cousin yesterday. He said, people are trying to diagnose their, diagnose their illnesses by checking Google. <laughs> by checking Google. And I said, well, I do that all the time. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I had a rash. And so I was just really itching. And so I got on Google, and I, I said, rash. And uh, two questions popped up. Are you black? Yes. Are you over 40? Yes. You're going to die, right? <laughs> and no matter what I put up there, you know, if I say uh, cardiac ablation, Two questions pop up. Are you black? Yes. Are you 40? Yes. Over 40? Yes. You're going to (laughs) die. But anyway, uh, with tongue out of cheek, people learn from Google. They learn from Facebook. They learn from Instagram. They learn from Twitter. What do they learn? They spend countless hours ingesting information and sound bites, which teaches them not to focus. And they learn from a lot of false teachers who don't know what they're talking about. So is what you're learning from these sources true knowledge or false knowledge? And for the most part, these platforms contain the rambling of a bunch of kooks who have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Well, here's you. You have a life. You have problems. You need a solution. Well, when you go to a false teacher for the solution, You have to ask yourself, did my teacher's solution solve the problem? Look, we all go to teachers. We can all be fooled. But the the key is when you have a, a problem and your teacher recommends a solution, how do you know if they're true or false? It's if the solution works. And that's what makes biblical wisdom so great because it's a divine solution for every human problem. And when we go to the Lord with a problem, he gives a solution, a solution, and his solutions always work. In schools, children often ask the question, where do we come from? Well, perhaps you've taught your children the creation story from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then they go to school, and false teachers teach Darwin's theory of evolution. And that's exactly what it was. It was a theory It was not the truth. So which of those do your children believe? Do they believe in creation or do they believe in evolution? When you have a health problem, you go to doctors for a solution. 
do you evaluate if the solution they propose works? I have high blood pressure, which the doctors call hypertension, and I've been on medication for it since I was 32 years old. Well, now, 36 years later, I'm on these medications, and my blood pressure regularly is 160 over 91. And so you just sit there and you go, why did I sit around for so long and tolerate the lack of a solution to the problem? And there's one drug that if you have high blood pressure, they always give to you. It's hydrochlorothiazide. And what it does is it drains all the water out of your system. Well, we're 70% water, so that can't be good. But all of the doctors said so, so you take it. And we, we take it because we trust the doctor, but we don't ever ask ourselves, what else does it do? Well, it drains all the potassium and magnesium out of your system, two things that are really critical. So this is how the health community uh, works with us. You know, we have a problem, we go to the doctor for the solution, but we never evaluate whether the solution works, or if we evaluate it, we evaluate it way late. I should not have taken 38 years to make an evaluation about the meds that I was on for my high blood pressure. Well, many doctors in the medical community have a pill mentality. And by the way, I am not one of these holistic people who doesn't value the medical community because some of the stuff that they do is absolutely mind-bogglingly good. But what I'm saying by saying this is a lot of times we just don't manage our health care. We, just like we hand off our kids to teachers and hope they teach the right thing, we hand off our health to doctors and hope they do the right thing. But really, you've got to manage the teaching of your kids and you have to manage your health care. So doctors with a pill mentality are always offering you a pill for every problem you have. When you watch television, the money-rich pharmaceutical industry is always influencing you to tell your doctor what to prescribe. Renvoke and Sky Rizzy, they got all (laughs) all these drugs with these people who are miserable, and then by the end of the commercial, they're happy. That's not how things really go. So the question I have for you is this. Do you do research to see if what your doctors prescribe are good for you or lousy for you? See, this is what we're talking about when we talk about false teachers and false teaching. We're not just talking about a bunch of believers in the first century who followed a wrong gospel message. We're talking about your life. And you are always learning from teachers. And the question is, do you ever think about whether the teacher knows what he's talking about. Do you know how the things your doctors give you work? And do you know the negative things these things do to your body? I mean, something as simple as Tylenol. Is Tylenol safe? Well, you go to Google and it's going to tell you, yeah, it's safe, but it has an amazingly negative effect on kidneys. Is Advil safe? You're going to go there and say, oh, yeah, Advil's safe. As a matter of fact, take Advil and Tylenol together. Well, Advil is really lousy for the stomach. So when your doctor prescribed, for example, my doctor, I was telling him that I was having some difficulty back before I got my spine surgery, and he said, well, here, I'm going to give you a muscle relaxer, and this should help. Okay, well, I've never taken a muscle relaxer before, so I'm wondering what this stuff does. And I started researching it, and I said, there is no way in hell I'm taking this. So... If we're being honest, 
we turn over our health to doctors as opposed to saying, I have a problem, I need a solution, they proposed one. Is it safe and does it work? So placing your total confidence in doctors and then finding out when it's too late that their solution for our medical problem did more harm than good is not great. They take this thing called the Hippocratic Oath, which is a standard of professional ethics for doctors. And one of the fundamental principles of the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. Well, a lot of doctors have forgotten about the Hippocratic Oath. It's now come, become the hypocritical oath because they do things. They're in the pharmaceutical company's pocket, and they get compensated for prescribing scripts. And so you really got to pay attention to this. Okay, false teachers and false teaching. Who are your teachers in the financial world? Are they true teachers or false teachers? Renowned author Robert Kiyosaki, author of one of the best books I've ever read, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, asks, what are teachers in schools teaching you about money? And I met him one time at, at, at the Arizona State Fair. He was walking around, and I said, no way. He said, what? I said, you're Robert Kiyosaki. He said, I sure am. And so we had a really nice conversation. But, you know, first I complimented him about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because it has a very simple premise. When you have money, you can buy assets, which put money in your pocket, you can buy liabilities, which take money out of your pocket. If you ever wonder how athletes who've made millions of dollars in their lifetime end up homeless, they bought a lot of liabilities. They bought no assets. But guys like Charles Barkley and Shaq, these guys print money because they take their money and they buy assets. So anyway, Kiyosaki says, what are teachers in school teaching you about money? Well, Kiyosaki thinks false teachers teach everyone to get a job, work hard at it, make money, go into debt, of course save some money, and pay taxes. But Kiyosaki thinks the rich play by a different set of rules. I guarantee you the rich play by a different set of rules. Do you know what rules they play by? Or do you listen to the, our, our beloved president who's always bagging on rich people? So quite often, we accept the lies of false financial teachers. A simple example is you want to buy a house. Well, you don't have enough money to buy a $250,000 house cash, so you get a 30-year fixed mortgage. Okay, what did you just do? You just decided to pay $500,000 for a $250,000 house, but you, you have no choice if you don't have money unless you have a rich relative and you can beg them and let, ask them to finance this and carry the paper and let you pay it back whenever you want to. So you buy the house, you get the mortgage, then all of a sudden your money is tied up in the house with no access to it because the house starts to appreciate, it goes up in value, but you can't get at the money. Of course, the house has equity. Equity is the difference between what you paid for the house and the value of the house. And so a lot of people, when they see that there's equity in the house, they get a home equity loan and they take all the equity out and they just screw themselves. But anyway, as you pay down the mortgage, you pay interest to the bank first, long before you pay off the part of the loan that makes the house yours. So you got a $250,000 house. 
you get a mortgage, you really just signed up for $500,000. And as you start to pay it back, the first $250,000 goes to the bank. And every payment, they give you a little bit off the principal, but not much. And then at the end, maybe 20 years in, then you really start to pay off the house. And we accept that. But there are a lot of ways to get around that. You can pay for your house every two weeks instead of every month, and you can, you can cut about eight years off of that. Or you can figure out a way. You want to own your house as fast as possible, so you need to figure out a way to own your house as fast as possible so you aren't giving all this money to a bank which is money that ought to be staying in your pocket because $250,000 put in a 10% interest uh, index fund kicks off $25,000 a year for the rest of your life. So you don't want to be giving that to the bank. So anyway, and then what happens, by the way, when you have the 30-year mortgage is about 15 years in when you've paid off most of the interest to the bank, then they convince you to refinance. And they charge you ten dollars or $15,000 to refinance. But what did they just do? They just put you back in the financial prison for another 30 years. First 15 of which is going to be paying them off. And then at the end, you pay off your house. And then you finally pay off your house when you're 75 years old. This is insane. But false teachers and false teaching, this is what they do. You're charged for the privilege of digging a bigger financial hole for yourself. You buy investments that pay, and you, that pay your financial advisors first without paying you. And that's why we call them brokers, because often that's what they make you, broker. But have you ever invested in financial education to create a financial plan that pays off for you? What's that guy's name that has that financial... Uh, thing that you've studied. Dave Ramsey has a great course in financial competency. And it's really inexpensive, but have you ever taken it so that you can start to understand how all these false teachers are screwing you? And remember what the little boy said, I take I'm going to take advantage of willingly ignorant people. That's what most people who have a lot of money do. So you're encouraged to look forward to your retirement at age 65. Again, false teachers and false teaching. Okay, just work until you're 65 and then retire. I hate the word retire because what that means is quit, let yourself be put up on a coat rack, and then just hang there until it's time to die. So you're encouraged to look forward to retirement. And when you know that there's going to be a day when I don't have to work anymore, well, that's just stupid. You need to be working until you drop dead. But that's just my personal view. See, everything I say from up here is not biblical. A lot of this stuff is just my personal view. Like last week, I taught you the 10 relationships. And I said, this is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ's perspective. That was just a little fun, but it was really coming from my perspective. So here's the deal. So you retire, and then what happens? We're encouraged to look forward to this, and we say, as soon as I retire, I'm going to travel. Yeah, but here's what you don't think about. You're going to be 65 years old. You have two suitcases. They're both 70 pounds. Who's going to carry them? At 65, if you haven't been exercising, you don't want to carry 70-pound suitcases. So this is a false philosophy in my mind. Did you know that the actuarial tables 
say a non-smoker who reaches age 65 will probably live to be 90 years old. So there are these little geeks who sit in a room and figure out when you're going to die based on your health profile. And so if you're a smoker, you're probably going to die at 70. But if you're 65 and you're a non-smoker, you're probably going to get to 90. Okay, so you're retired at 65. Now you got 25 years. What are you going to do? Phone it in for 25 years? That's absolutely ridiculous. And people who do that, who choose to do that, usually die. So what are you going to do for the following 25 years? And more importantly, how will you pay yourself? Because the last thing you ever want to do in your life is get on a fixed income. Well, did you know that retirees experience mental health issues such as depression and anxiety when they retire. Look, we've been in a career for 45 years and all of a sudden we're not. You know, we tied our self-worth to the jobs or to the career that we're in and then now it's gone. There's grief associated with that. Nobody tells you about that. Uh, one of my buddies just retired two weeks ago and he is so happy and I, I can't wait. Two months from now, he's going to have the, the sad face. And then I take him out to lunch, I'm going to slap his face, and I'm going to say, get a job. Because he plays golf all the time. He played golf all the time when he was working. So now he needs to keep doing what he was doing. Just find a job you can do from home. Keep working two days a week, which is all he did. He had a seven-day-a-week job. He worked two days a week. And he was playing golf the rest of the time. And that's really smart. So retirement can be totally discombobulating. Uh, retiring from work is a major life change that can bring more stress than benefits. And some studies have linked retirement to a decline in health. That's exactly what happens. You retire, and what you would think is you kick up your, the protection of your health because you have more time, and what actually happens is people sit on the couch and they're grieving and they start to, their muscles start to atrophy and it's, it's horrible. And it's not so much what happens to you physically, but what happens to you mentally that becomes the problem. So your days lose their structure when you retire. Your, a sense of lethargy creeps in. And left to your own devices, it's easy to fall into bad habits. Oversleeping, sleeping way too long, and foregoing exercise. And so what most experts recommend is that you establish a new routine when you retire. And I love talking to people about retirement because they have this completely false sense of what it is. Well, now I can finally do what I want to do. You could have been doing what you wanted to do since you were 20. And you're going to put it off until 65. That's insane. And what about the issue of replacing income in an inflationary environment when you're no longer making the big income that you were making before. And look, at 65, you have most of your crap paid off. You've gotten smart enough to know, don't have a car payment, preferably don't have a house payment. You've gotten smart, so maybe you have a $100,000 lifestyle. It's brilliant. But you need money. What's wrong with you making $300,000 a year with a $100,000 lifestyle? There's nothing wrong with that. So what about the issues of replacing your income and preparing for an unknown future of health care and long-term care costs. Because for all of us who are on Medicare, that's going to go away. And then we're going to be sitting here wondering how to take care of ourselves because we never prepared for the fact 
that the government is going to yank that rug out from under us at a period of time. All right, so those are all the things that go on in the human realm. You got false teachers with false teaching. You buy into a lot of their crap, but you don't have to. If you think that you are the, the, the orchestrator of your own life and you can bring a whole host of true teachers into your life who are teaching you the critical things. Now, let's talk about the spiritual realm. Let's get back to Colossians and Galatians because the spiritual realm is the most important realm in your life. It is the center of your life. What false teachers and false teachings are you committed to? Because there are a lot of people who pretend to be Christians, but they're really dipping into all these other pots. Well, I'm a Christian, but I go to a psychic. Well, I'm a Christian, and I meditate. Well, I'm a Christian, and I think yoga is spiritual. So there are all these things that we do to mix Christianity with the falseness of the world. And the analogy that I coined recently that I'm going to really, you're going to hear this over and over from me. Christianity is like a jar of pure water. And inside that jar of pure water, that's Jesus Christ. And that's all of his truth. And it's pure. And there's nothing in there but Jesus Christ, who is the water. And then what do Christians do? They believe in Jesus Christ. And then as soon as they believe in Jesus Christ and they have salvation, they now transition to the next portion of Christianity, which is sanctification, where God the Holy Spirit takes over and he starts perfecting you until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, most Christians say, look, I'm saved. Now, I want to do it. And that's what the Judaizers were encouraging these Christians to do. Now that you're saved, and yeah, believing in Christ is really important, but you can lose your salvation if you don't do this whole host of things. So false teachers come along and mix oil into the water. Well, Jesus is smart enough not to let oil and water mix, so their legalistic crap boils to the top. And if you see that, you can easily skim all that oil off and get back to the original thing, which is Jesus Christ, his word, true, pure Christianity, because oil and water don't mix. Faith in Christ and doing work for your own salvation are mutually exclusive. You do one or the other. If you let Christ save you, you're saved. God's work. If you want to save yourself and you want to add to Christianity... Maybe you're not saved, so you better check that out. Are you allowing yourself to be duped by these false teachers? All right, let's take another look at the passage we're going to start studying next week, which is Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. It says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes was Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive God the Holy Spirit by the works of the Mosaic Law or simply by hearing with faith? Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish? Having begun your salvation by the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Galatians 3.4. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Galatians 3.5. So then, Does God the Father, who provides you with God the Holy Spirit, 
and he who works miracles among you do it by the works of the Mosaic law or by hearing with faith. Galatians 3.6. Even so, Abraham believed in the Lord, Jehovah Elohim, and it was reckoned to him, it was credited to his account as righteousness. Galatians 3.7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Spiritual Jews are Abraham's seeds. Galatians 3.8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. As believers in Christ in the church age, as Gentiles, we are the seed of Abraham as well. Galatians 3.9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the Mosaic law are under a curse. You think you can be saved by keeping the law? You're under a curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Put that up, Denny. Galatians 3.11. Now that no one is justified by the Mosaic law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith in Christ alone. Galatians 3.12. However, the Mosaic law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices the Mosaic law shall live by the Mosaic law. Galatians 3.13. But Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the Mosaic law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is everyone who is crucified at a cross. Galatians 3.14. Christ did this in order that in union with Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of God the Holy Spirit through faith. The false teachers claim that if the Galatian believers truly want to be saved, they need to add to their faith in Christ because his work at the cross is not sufficient to save. So they recommended adding. They contend that believing in Christ is fine, but you need to be circumcised if you're a male. You need to eat the proper diet. You need to give to the poor. You need to fast. You need to follow feasts and holy days. You need to go to church. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And if you don't do that, you'll lose your salvation because all these things are things you do to help God save you. Are the false teachers with their false teaching right in the things that they're saying? Are the things that they're saying something that can benefit you? And the loud and resounding answer is no. And this is what turns people off so much to Christianity. It's not that there's anything wrong with Christianity. It's pretty simple. But then when people want to add all this crap to faith, then it ruins it for people. Yeah, you're a Christian, so you've got to go to church. Yeah, you're a Christian, so you've got to be pure. Pastor, how can you swear? I really like swearing. Well, you know, what kind of person are you that's swearing? I'm a person just like you. You swear all the time. I mean, just some of the stuff that people say. They, they, they get around you. Oh, you're a pastor? Oh, well, I have to be really holy. Yeah, no, you really don't. Buy me a beer. As punishment for saying stupid stuff like that. So, the false teachers claim that if the Galatian believers truly wanted to be saved, they had to add all this crap to their faith. 
And are the false teachers right? Look, you have two choices. Do God's work, uh, the question I have for you is this. Does God's work plus your works equal salvation and justification? Absolutely not. So as you reflect on your own life between now and next week, ask yourself what false teachers and false teachings you are using to run your life. Every day of my life, I'm looking to see if what I'm doing is true. And anything that is false, anything that I look at that does not produce results is getting discarded at an alarming rate. And I just wish I was that smart when I was 20 years old. I wish I was smart enough to know that there are critical few things in life and a trivial many. And I wish that at 20, because I'm a pioneer, because I'm a ghetto boy made good, I was always looking for what worked. But I was doing it all on my own because I didn't have any direction. But, boy, if you could just get some direction, if you could just get somebody to help, and if you would just listen to what they're telling you, then all of a sudden life becomes amazing. So my feeling is this. When you want something, you can find true teachers all the time. I was talking about my heart, uh, my hypertension from the pulpit and a friend of mine sent me a book about hypertension that opened my eyes to what a fool I've been all this time to let the medical community guide my hypertension. I want my blood pressure to be 110 over 70, and it's regularly 160 over 90, which is the kind of the lower end of hypertension. But still, you let that go on for a really long time, and you're going to get dead. And so I am on a mission to get that taken care of. And I've tapped into my friends to provide me with resources. And a lot of my friends are in the medical community. They're just smart about stuff like this. Denise helped me tremendously with this and referred me to somebody who's expert at controlling blood pressure. And I'm really looking forward to meeting this new doctor. And I'm going to just, okay, yeah, I want to go to Mayo Clinic. But I want to go to people who know what they're doing and who produce results. So as you reflect on your own life between now and next week, ask, what false teachers and false teachings are you using to run your life? You can find true teachers anytime you want if you're looking for them. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the truest teacher of all. And one of the things I love about the Lord is he always directs us to the people, especially as believers, all the people on his team. He directs us to places, to people, to sources, that help us live the best life we can before we get to close our eyes in this life, be absent from the body face-to-face with the Lord, and live with Him in eternity forever, never having to worry about false teachers or false teaching again. So thanks for listening to this, and now let's close with the gospel message. The closing moments of our lesson today could be the ten most important moments of your life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants for you and from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. This gospel message, the good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ's salvation offer, is for the benefit of believers in Christ. The Lord wants you to feel secure in your position in union with Christ because you've already made this decision. 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Now that you're saved, move on to the sanctification phase of your life. And always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope, the absolute confidence from your faith in Christ that is in you. Yet give the account with gentleness and respect. The gospel message, this message, is especially for unbelievers so that you can be saved. Because unbelievers, whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. And that's bad news for you. The Bible says that being saved, salvation is exactly what all humans need from the moment of physical birth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, At physical birth, all mankind were born spiritually dead in their trespasses and sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says this, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that is every human who comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. What does God want for unbelievers? He wants two things. First and foremost, he wants you to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who wants all men to be saved. And he wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. What does the Lord not want for unbelievers? It's highlighted in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient towards you unbelievers, not willing, wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This immutable and irrevocable fact may contradict the thoughts placed in your head by God's enemy through false teachers with their false teaching, through religions that contend that God is always disappointed in you because you continued to sin, and so therefore you have to work to please him. The Bible has a completely different perspective. The Lord gives you a written account of the absolute truth, his exact thinking in this thing called the Bible. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 say this, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the Bible. John 20, 31. But these things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. And I know so many famous people, and I think about them all the time. They have so much money. They're billionaires and millionaires and successful and running big businesses and really meaningful lives. And they have zero time for the spiritual life. Uh, Warren Buffett is one of the most financially competent people in the world. And he is agnostic. And he said he was Presbyterian and then he became agnostic. And he said, I don't believe that the mysteries of God can be known. Well, if you sit down and have lunch with this guy, he can tell you anything about how to make money. And he is an expert at making money. And he is brilliant. But if you ask him anything about God, he can't tell you jack squat about the most important thing in the world, 
And he's going to close his life, eyes in this life, and be in the lake of fire. And I think that is pitiful. And, and I hurt for him and for Bill Gates and for all these people who are so successful, Mark Cuban. And look, I don't know these guys to know into the depth of their spiritual lives, but just looking at how they operate and how they talk, you never see any evidence that there's anything spiritual going on in their lives. Well, do you know the truth, unbelievers? Especially the truth about the God who is, who, the God who is as a person and the truth about what he has done to save you. Do you know Jesus? Maybe you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't think he is God. Maybe you don't think the Bible is his exact thinking. Maybe you don't even think you need to be saved. One of my friends, I, I sent her the gospel message, and I sent her some follow-up information, and she said, yeah, first of all, I don't believe that message you sent me, and second of all, am I going to listen to some old white guy talk to me about how to be saved? No, you're not. She's Jewish. She is cool. She is so cool. She got a master's degree. She's so smart, but so smart she's dumb because she, she, she'll take the time to study whatever she was studying in, in her master's degree. She will take zero time to learn about the sovereign God of the universe. And there's so many people like that who are so smart they're dumb and they just miss this. The Bible says all who are spiritually dead need to be saved. And that's all of us from physical birth. All of us need a spiritual life. And that's what it means to be born again, that you're born physically alive and spiritually dead. And when you commit to Jesus Christ, you're born again into the spiritual life. And the Lord Jesus Christ volunteered for the task of saving you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this. God the Father being rich in mercy. That's his attitude toward unbelievers. Because of his great unconditional love which, with which he loved all of us. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were spiritually dead in our transgressions, we spit in God's face and he wiped it off and said, okay, I'm going to now send my son to save you. He made us believers in Christ spiritually alive he placed us into union with Christ, and by his grace, you have been saved. Who is this God who saves you? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 say this, I, the Apostle Paul, deliver to you believers in Christ as of primary importance. The gospel message I also received directly from God by direct revelation, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scripture and that he was buried, and that he was resurrected from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice, right now, right where you sit, you can have eternal life. And I always, when I get to this part, think of that thief on the cross who was crucified right next to Jesus. And he said nine words, and he was saved. He had a miserable life. He was a thief. He was a murderer. He was a con man, and he got exactly what was coming to him, which is the worst death possible, and a death reserved for the only the worst criminal. And he was hanging there on that cross, and he looked at Jesus Christ, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Nine words, Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So right where you sit right now, you can have eternal life, the resurrection life, by taking the suggestion. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. So heed the warning and accept the invitation of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. The lake of fire is a literal place, and it will be your eternal home if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to work to be saved. It's a free gift from a gracious God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in self-righteousness. You can't work to be saved. But according to his mercy, God the Father's feeling toward unbelievers, by the washing of regeneration and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. So, there is no excuse for not knowing how to be saved. It is so simple. Why? It's simple because God does the saving for you. He did the work, you get the credit. And all you have to do is invest a gift that God gave you from the moment of your birth, faith. You can place your confidence in the object of your faith. And when this loving God who gave you this gift you take that gift and place that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for, for your salvation, you are saved once and for all time, and you can never lose your salvation. And anybody who tells you you can't is lying to you. Do it now. There is no time to waste. All right, well, let's close with some music. False teachers say who we are as believers in Christ. Hillsong Worship encourages us to see ourselves as God sees us in their song, Who You Say I Am. But he brought me in all oh, his love for me All oh, his love for me Through the sun sets free Oh, it's free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, I
Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for offering us freedom instead of bondage. Help us evaluate our lives so we can rid ourselves of false teachers and false teaching. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Uh, We'll be discussing the lesson, and we'll have the prayer circle right after this. You can join us live or on Zoom if you have the newsletter immediately following this lesson. Got any biblical questions? Ask the pastor, pastor at baramministries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.